This past summer, my family went on uh, an epic road trip up to the Northeast, and we went through a ton of toll roads and toll booths. And uh, we were finally coming back, uh, our last leg, and heading home, and we were coming through this toll booth in New Jersey, and it was one of those that didn't have the cost posted, the price or anything. You ever been through one of those? And I had this thought as we sat there, and this guy, you know, was about to tell us how much we owed him. Like, he could tell us any number right then. And, I, like, is there a number that he could have said that we're like, yeah, we're not paying that? You know, we had to get home. He could have said $200. He could have said it's $1,000. At what point would he have said a number? I mean, there was a number that he could have said something, and I would have said, fam, we walking back to Alabama. Like, this is it. I mean, we've, I felt so out of control and so powerless at that moment because he, he kind of held all the cards. And now, we know that would not happen because in our society, in our culture, toll roads are government regulated, and they're voted on by taxpayers typically in the area where the people who use the toll road the most. So none of us in our right mind would approve a toll road that costs $1,000 every time you pass through, right? We, we just wouldn't do that. So we, we, we feel protected. But in the first century Roman world, toll roads and systems of taxation were not exactly that democratic. Good morning, my name is Carter McKinnis. I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and I'm so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, uh, thank you so much for coming. Those of you we see every Sunday, it's, it's so great to see you, and, and many, uh, maybe friends and family of baptism folks, and we're really excited to celebrate them and uh, later on uh, in the service. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because often when we hear this term in the New Testament, when we hear the term tax collector, we immediately have some kind of image or some kind of idea about what that occupation looked like. There were different kinds, and we're going to talk about that, but often, and especially in the story we're going to read today, often what it really means, a more accurate description for us would be more like a toll collector, like a toll booth collector that we would see on a road, except without the government regulations that we, we enjoy. In the first century Roman world, in their provinces, and especially in the province of Judea, where Jesus lived and where the New Testament happened, there were two kinds of taxes. There were direct taxes and indirect taxes. Direct taxes were like a census tax or a headcount tax or a land, land tax, property tax. And those were regulated by the central ruling government. So those were uh, regulated by Rome in Judea. They decided what those were. And they would find usually a local who spoke the language of the province to go around with the help of military support to collect those taxes. But those were decided on by Rome what those taxes were going to be. But indirect taxes like sales tax, like trade tax, um, like uh, transportation tax, toll roads, those were mostly contracted out to local toll collectors who, had, who decided on their own what the price of those tolls was going to be. 
they, they picked the fee that they would charge with a little Roman centurion muscle at their side when they went to collect them. They were despised. They were despised because they had not only turned on their people, but they had contracted, they had partnered with their oppressors. They were unclean because of their constant contact with Gentiles, and they were dishonest. In fact, dishonesty meant more money in their pocket. The more dishonest they were with people about what the fee was, the more money that they could make, and then they could be dishonest with Rome about what they actually collected. And no one really knew. There were no computerized systems. There was no document. There was no documentation. Dishonesty meant more money for them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going on a toll road, and when you go through a toll booth, that toll booth collector has the authority at that moment with a couple of armed guards at his, at his side to decide what you owe him based on how he felt, whether he likes you, or what he wants to buy that evening. Can you imagine that system? It was just a crazy world. Rome expected that there would be sales tax, that there would be uh, trade tax collected. They just didn't regulate the price. That was up to the local toll booth collectors. And this is why they, they were not just seen as just sinners. They were the upper echelon of sinners. If you read the New Testament much about the life of Jesus and uh, in the stories of Jesus' life, death, and ministry, and resurrection, you will often hear this phrase, sinners and tax collectors. It's because the New Testament writers did not want to sully the reputations of murderers, criminals, liars, and adulteries by putting with those tax collector scumbags. <laughs> we don't make you guys feel so bad. You're not at least one of those, right? They were the worst of the worst, the worst of the worst. And good people, good people in the first century, good Jews, religious people, did not associate with these kinds of people. You especially didn't eat with them. Eating in our culture is very different than, than their culture. We eat, have you ever thought about how often you eat with strangers? Like you sit down at a restaurant and they're like eight feet away are these people you've never known and you eat with them. And they just didn't do that. Eating in their culture was a very intimate exercise. Table fellowship meant that we kind of shared life together. And you just didn't eat with strangers. It was meant to be done in the home with people that you shared something with. Those, those with a reputable character in their world, did not eat with sinners and tax collectors. They were considered the worst of the worst. So the sinners and tax collectors, they had their own table, their own places that they went to eat, their own homes. You just, if you were a person of good standing, you didn't eat with them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having this label on you? Worst of the worst? To be considered the upper echelon of sinners. By the time we're done today, I want to tell you about Jesus' invitation to a toll booth collector named Levi to follow him. 
that shows how anyone can not only belong with Jesus, but how this belonging can begin to redefine how you see yourself, how I would see myself. And I think this is so important because I think some of you feel like you belong at that table. Some of you feel like you belong with this label. You feel like you are the worst of the worst. And maybe that's why you've kept church at a distance. It's maybe where you've steered clear to faith because you feel like you'll be judged. You're not as good as those people. Maybe that's why you come to church, but you don't join a small group because you feel like you're going to get in a small group and everybody's going to know your junk. And if they knew your junk, they'd be mortified because they're good, fine, upstanding church people. You feel like you're the worst of the worst. I want you to listen. Lean in. Jesus said that he came precisely for the people who feel like they are the worst of the worst. So if that's you, listen up to Jesus' invitation to this fellow named Levi. Now, this is at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. So if you got your Bibles and you want to open them, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. If you're watching online, thank you so much for welcoming us into your, into your home today. I usually say if you're watching us on your back porch, but if you're watching us on your back porch, you do not live in the south because uh, it's hot. Uh, so from your living room, from your air, uh, uh, air condition. And Mark tells the story of this uh, of Jesus starting off in his ministry and where it's happening and what's happening. It's happening in a, in a community called Capernaum where Jesus did a lot of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, and it's around what is a major port for fishermen and for trade. And Mark tells G, how Jesus invites the very first disciples. There's four of them, two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And these are the first four, these four fishermen, these two sets of brothers that Jesus invites to be his disciples and follow him. Now, this was pretty out of the ordinary. The fact that they were fishermen indicated that they had not qualified academically for further education. Because education in their world was only religious And boys would reach a certain point at age 13, if they had the goods, then they could go on to formal education, which would include asking a rabbi if they could follow that rabbi and be one of his disciples. And the most educated you would be would to be in the synagogue and follow a rabbi. The fact that they have gone from their education at age 13 and probably now, maybe they're 16, 18, maybe 20 years old, and they have gone back to the family trade. What their dad did indicated that when they were 13, they did not make the cut. So they're just kind of regular old folks. So Jesus immediately inviting them to be his disciples is already telling us something about what he is doing in this world. It's already already telling us something about his kingdom, that he did not come to call the best and the brightest, that his kingdom would be built on ordinary people. Jesus had not come to call the cream of the crop. He had come to call the salt of the earth. Though odd, this is odd, this didn't bother anyone. I mean, it was a little unorthodox, a little out of the ordinary. Usually, you ask a rabbi if you could follow them. A rabbi didn't ask you to follow them. 
It's a little backwards. It's a little different. But all in all, it didn't bother anybody. Because though there were questions about Peter and Andrew and James and John's competency as future leaders, there were no questions about their character. For all accounts, they were good Jews. But that wasn't the case with the next disciple that he would call, about which there were lots of questions about his character because he was one of the worst of the worst. Let's look at what it says in Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. So just imagine this. There's these four new disciples that Jesus has following him. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. He is, he is getting attention. Hundreds of people are now following him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, very much like a toll booth, probably right at the port, handling trade in and out of the port at the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus looks at this worst of the worst, low-down, good-for-nothing tax collector, and he says, hey, you, Me? <laughs> yeah, you, Levi. Why don't you follow me? Jesus told him. And Levi got up, and just like Peter and Andrew and James and John left their nets to follow him, Levi got up, left his tax papers and his money, and he followed him. So hundreds of people are around. Everybody's seeing this. This is in the public eye, and none of them like Levi. None of them like Levi because he works at the tax collector's booth. He is low down dirty. He's the worst of the worst. Just think for a moment what Peter and Andrew and James and John are thinking. They had fished on that lake their entire lives. They had probably paid taxes at that booth probably to Levi more times than they could count because fishermen had to pay taxes on the day's catch. After all, that was Roman water they were fishing in. And Rome got a cut, and it was Levi's job to take the cut. They probably despised Levi. Might have even hated him. Can you just imagine one of them mumbling after his breath? Like, what is he doing? Inviting him. Come on, Jesus. That guy's the worst. Fishermen. Fishermen were long shots to be disciples. Long shot to, to be a disciple of any rabbi. But tax collectors? They weren't even eligible to follow a rabbi. They had broken too many Jewish laws. He probably didn't even know any rabbis. Levi knew Roman governors and lieutenants and commanders and generals. The ask itself was ridiculous. No rabbi in good standing would sully his good name to be in relationship with a tax collector, would invite someone unclean 
to follow him. But for Levi, this is the invitation of a lifetime. And he doesn't just drop everything to follow Jesus. He invites Jesus to his house. Listen to what it says next. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So apparently many heard what Jesus did with Levi. All these sinners and tax collectors were watching along, and they followed along. They come. This is a similar scene. If a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, if you were to kick off our series, and if you weren't, we'd love for you to go back and go on our website, our YouTube page. It's super easy to watch. And the very first message two weeks ago in the series, there's a similar scene where Jesus is having dinner at the house of a very wealthy tax collector, one of the chief tax collectors. He's made a lot of money, named Zacchaeus. But in that story, by all accounts, it's just Zacchaeus and Jesus having dinner. But not this one. Jesus gets to Levi's house, and lo and behold, there are many tax collectors there. This is not an intimate dinner gathering. This is a house party. Things are happening at this place. I mean, the music is thumping, right? <laughs> Levi's on the, on the porch grilling out steaks. People are out on the deck chatting it up with Jesus. There's hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, like this is a house party, right? Things are happening. There are many. And can you just imagine Peter, Andrew, James, and John? They had never, ever been to a party with people like this. They had never been around this many sinners and tax collectors. You ever just thought about the kind of people that were there? That Levi invited Jesus into to sit down and have dinner with? Like Tommy Tax Collector. He worked the other side of the lake. He had the other port, North Port. He and Levi traded, you know, industry secrets. But his mom and dad had disowned him because of what a disgrace he was to their Jewish faith, just to make a buck. He'd made a lot of money, and he'd made a lot of enemies in the process. Sally, selfish. She might have been there. Her whole life had been about her. Her whole life had been about doing things for anybody that got close to her. She lied, she cheated, she had stolen, she had turned anybody away that ever tried to get intimate with her, close to her, because all she cared about was Sally. And she'd sabotaged every relationship she'd ever known, even those who tried to love her most and best. Barney the brawler. You know Barney, right? Barney had always had to seem to have had a few too many of the fermented grapes, if you know what I mean. And when he did, he got violent and mouthy. He swore. 
He fractured every relationship that he ever had and a few jaws along the way. He'd spent time behind bars. And this group of sinners and tax collectors, they were the only friends he had, if you could call them that. And then there were Scarlet. And you probably know her story. She spent a little time working the streets, but now she just went from relationship to relationship, being intimate, but never really intimate. Looking for love in all the wrong places, and everybody in Galilee knew her story. She seemed to wear it around like a letter on her chest. And these were the only people she could sit with. And of course, there's Levi. The toll collector who Jesus invited to follow him. Who had extorted money from the four disciples that Jesus brought along with him for most of his adult life and all their friends and all their countrymen. And Jesus sits down with all of them and eats sinners and a couple of tax collectors. Many of them, the worst of the worst. Listen up. You think you're the worst of the worst. Jesus wants a seat at your table. No matter what you think you've done, no matter how far gone you think you are, Jesus wants a seat at your table because Jesus is the kind of king who sits at the tables of sinners and tax collectors. Your past, your sullied name, your history, your occupation, your reputation, your character does not intimidate him. And I know what you're thinking, Carter. You don't know what I smoked, what I drank, who I slept with, who I partied with, what I said, what I thought, what I did. Jesus didn't care. It did not top out Tommy and Sally and Barney and Scarlett and Levi. And all the many sinners and tax collectors who were there. Jesus sat down at the, with the worst of the worst. And look here, look here, I told you this is for you. Jesus wants to sit down with you. Jesus wants to sit down with you. He is not afraid of what you've done. He is not afraid to be seen with you. Jesus wants a seat at your table. Now you can probably guess, not everyone likes that Jesus sat down with Tommy and Sally and Barney and Scarlett and Levi, and there are many friends. Listen to what Mark writes next. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners, with tax collectors and sinners? They go to his disciples and they're like, Doesn't he know the implications of this? Right? Doesn't he understand 
what, what, how this looks. Does your rabbi endorse their behavior? From, from the letter of the Jewish law, they were exactly right. What Jesus was doing was ritually defiling in regard to laws about unclean foods and table, table fellowship. I told you, when you ate with someone, it meant shared life. It meant uh, intimacy. It meant trust. By being at Levi's house and eating with these sinners and tax collectors, they're asking, G, they're asking his disciples, does Jesus condone their decisions, their past, their character, their, their immoral lifestyles? And we still struggle with this, don't we, in the church? That's why Christians, we create this kind of separatist culture, this Christian bubble so we can just kind of be alone and then we don't have to be sullied and touched and defiled by the world and we just do Christian stuff and Christian things and Christian this and Christian that and that's what we want to do because we're just so afraid if we get too close to a lost and bro broken and unclean world that it will feel like we are endorsing them. And here's just what I love and this is just one example in the scriptures that we see over and over again. Jesus never equated supper with support. He just never equated it. Jesus' attitude was like, well, we all got to eat, right? Let's just eat together. Let's just talk. He never equated supper with support. No, he didn't condone the lifestyles of all the many sinners and tax collectors. No, he didn't endorse behaviors, but he just never equated supper with support. He just never equated that he would be in the vicinity of someone and he would lift up their values. It just, it just never crossed his mind. He just wanted to be close with people because he just, here's the trick, right? If Jesus wasn't friends with sinners, he wouldn't have any friends because that's all that's down here. It's all that's down here. And the hook, that's the hook of the story. The hook of the story is the last line, and it reveals Jesus' heart that I'm not so sure that the church always has gotten right. And maybe this has been your frustration with the church if you've kept church at arm's length, but I hope you'll hear this is the heart of what we're supposed to be about. On hearing this, Jesus hears what they're saying. Jesus said to them, is it not the healthy who need a doctor? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When God acted in the world, people thought surely it would be on behalf of the righteous. But Jesus said he didn't even come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And here's the story behind the story that I've already, you've already gotten. No one is righteous. The Pharisees weren't righteous, were they? What were they? Self-righteous. They were self-righteous. Jesus is saying that not only has he reserved a seat for himself at the table of the worst of the worst, but you can't even get a seat at Jesus' table until you admit that you are one of them. The whole point is that Jesus came for all of us because we are all sick with sin, and you and I don't get this radical invitation until we own it that we are one of the sinners that he came for. It is why, it is why you belong here and it is why you belong with Jesus. 
And it's why everybody can belong with Jesus. Because the ground is level standing in front of King Jesus. Belonging begins at our brokenness. Belonging begins admitting that I not only have a few sins, that I am a full-blown sinner. There's a, a churchy word for this. Sometimes we call this confession. Sometimes we call this repentance. But it is, the, it, it is the admitting that not only do I need Jesus to come have a seat at my table, that he doesn't come to my table because I am good, because I deserve him, but because he is good, not because I have merited his favor and his place at my table, but because I get his free mercy and grace. And if I won't admit that I am a full-blown sinner, then I will always be able to compare myself to people who sin more, to people who sin differently. And I will always be able to convince myself that I am righteous, but you're just lying to yourself because you are self-righteous. Because the whole point is that if you want a seat at Jesus' table, you have to admit that you are a sinner. Those are the only people that belong with Jesus. And if you can't admit that, you can't belong with him. Belonging begins not at our goodness, not at our achievements, at our brokenness. And Jesus sits down at the table with broken people. Jesus sits down at the table with sinners, tax collectors. And he says, hey, follow me. I got to share like <clears throat> one more part of the story. It's kind of the story within the story. Because you may have read this and you're like, I've never heard of Levi, son of Alphaeus. I, I don't know that disciple. I thought I knew most of them. When Mark and Luke write their Gospels, they use the name Levi. That was his name as the tax collector who Jesus invited. But when Matthew recalls the story in his Gospel, he uses another name. Listen to what Matthew writes. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <clears throat> Matthew looks back on his own story and he didn't use his old name, Levi, who had extorted his own people out of money for his own good. 
Matthew knows that that's who he used to be. He uses the name Matthew, that he would be called as a disciple and apostle of the resurrected king. Matthew uses the name that would be used as the title of the book that he would author documenting Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And for the rest of time, little children in children's church and vacation Bible school, when they will learn their New Testaments, they will not say, Levi, Mark, Luke, and John. Will they? The first word that will came up, come out of their mouth will not be the person that he used to be, but the person that he became because he belonged to Jesus. Luke and Mark, they wrote a more historical account because his name was Levi when Jesus called him. But Matthew knew that Jesus saw a Matthew inside of him and that he was calling him out of him. And can I just tell you something? If you've seen yourself as the worst of the worst, you are invited to follow Jesus. You are invited to belong to Jesus because what, you, what Jesus sees in you can change the way you see yourself. What Jesus sees in you can change the way you see yourself. That you are no longer a Levi. You are a Matthew. You are not relegated to your past, but you are redeemed for your future. If you will just own and confess your Levi past, there is a Matthew future in you that Jesus so wants the world to see. And he wants you to see it when you look in the mirror. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you redeem our stories, that we are not relegated to our mistakes. Thank you that we can be made new again. Thank you for new life. Thank you that we don't have to be defined as the worst of the worst. Thank you that we belong, not because of what we've done, but simply because of who you are. God, as we celebrate these stories of new life, transformation, and baptism today. Would today, be a, would today be a moment for them, like Matthew's calling, that they leave a Levi past behind and embrace a Matthew future. In Jesus' name, amen.